Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. You know, I know that uh, some of you may know this fact about me. Um, Landon Miller could attest to it, but I do like chick flicks. I'm just throwing it out there, okay? You say, oh, well, you better turn your man card in. Well, I I guess I just turned it in in front of a a room full of my closest friends. But the reason I do is because it's one of those things that you can watch a a chick flick, and you can sort of doze off in the middle of it, and then wake back up and pick up right where you left off, (laughs) right? You don't really have to pay attention. But then the biggest reason is because In most cases, a typical chick flick always ends with they live happily ever after, right? That's how most of them end. If they don't end that way, then it's probably not a chick flick. But you know, you've seen in that hour and a half of that movie or whatever it is that you're watching that there's all the drama comes to a close, all the peaks and the valleys And then in that moment of time, when that couple gets together or the story ends the way that you desired for it to end, there's that moment in time where you can just take that deep breath, that sigh of relief that it ended the way you hoped it would end. Now, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah this entire summer. And with that being said, if Nehemiah would have closed out in chapter 12. It would have ended the same way that most chick flicks do, and they lived happily ever after. Because as we saw chapter 12 come to a close last week, we noticed that the wall of Jerusalem had been rebuilt. God had placed all of his people in position where they were to accomplish what he wanted them to accomplish. The children of Israel were all unified And God was moving. God was moving in such a way that the surrounding communities began to hear the children of Israel praise God. And it piqued their curiosity because of what they were hearing come from the city of Jerusalem. So God was on the move. And so I wonder, being a man, Nehemiah being a leader, all guys can relate with this sense of accomplishment. Right? I wonder, like, when Nehemiah, when he rode off into this, or he probably walked off into the sunset. I don't know that there was a whole lot around to ride other than a donkey, maybe. But you wonder as he departed, because you're going to see in just a moment that he, he's going to leave the city of Jerusalem. And I'm wondering if he looked back and he began to see what all God had accomplished, what all God was doing, was there that sense of accomplishment? And was Nehemiah just looking back over his shoulder and did he just walk away and he just, one of those, yes! Because all men do that. 
That's the main reason I love to cut grass. Because I can get in the truck after it's over and I can see the stripes. I can see the edge driveway. I can see that there better not be any grass on the driveway, Brock and Cooper. Then I can look back and I can see the finished and the accomplished work. And the truth be known, if Nehemiah chapter 12 had been the end, then Nehemiah could have walked away feeling that way. But what you're gonna see is that we're about to flip over to the chapter of Nehemiah chapter 13. And we're gonna realize today that a lot changes between chapter 12 and chapter 13. We don't really know for exact um, measures of time. We don't know the duration of time between chapter 12 and chapter 13. There's a lot of, of speculation. Some believe it's as few as two years. Some believe it's as many as 15 years. But what you're gonna see is that's really irrelevant because what we're gonna find today that, that Nehemiah has gone back to the king of Artaxerxes where he was the cupbearer. He's going back to doing his job before God sent him to the city of Jerusalem to finish the work. So he's gonna return back to his previous life, if you would, or his previous occupation. And then he, on a whim, goes back to King Artaxerxes and he asks if he can return back to Jerusalem. So I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 13 and we're gonna start with reading verse six and part of verse seven. He says, while all of this was happening, and we'll talk about what all of this is in just a minute. All of this was happening. I was not in Jerusalem because I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in 32nd year of his reign. It was only later that I asked the king for a leave of absence so that I could return to Jerusalem. And so as he's getting ready to return to Jerusalem, I also wonder as a man, what expectations did he have going back? When he left King Artaxerxes and was headed back to Jerusalem where he had seen them hitting on all cylinders, he was seeing God move, he was seeing them celebrate, he was seeing them unified. Is that what he was expecting when he went back? Was he expecting to, as he approached the city of Jerusalem, because remember, the roar was heard from outside the city. So I wonder, when he got within a couple of miles, did he start listening? I don't hear him. I don't hear him. And was he expecting this warm welcome? Was he expecting this reunion? Was he expecting this celebration as he goes back to the place that when he left them, Everything was great. But what you're gonna see today is that that's not at all what Nehemiah discovered. And to say it led to his disappointment would be an understatement. And so I wanna keep reading in verse seven. It says, so I could return back to Jerusalem and then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. Now to better understand that, to understand a lot more of the detail, I want you to jump back up to verse four and five, and this will explain what we just read in verse seven. He says, now before this, the priest Eliashib had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of Tobiah. And he had prepared a large room for him where they had previously stored the grain offering and the frankincense and the articles and a tenth of the grain, the new wine, fresh oil prescribed for the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, along with the contributions 
to the priest. Now, what you have to realize is by him discovering that they had taken this storeroom that was in the temple or in the tabernacle of God, and they had given somebody basically, for lack of better words, an apartment. They had taken, transformed this storeroom of where all the supplies, all the offerings, everything that was to keep the ministry of God in, in operation had been removed and had been given to Tobiah so that he could have a place to stay. And so immediately, the first thing that Nehemiah recognized is if you remember when he left Jerusalem, they had all just made a commitment, a lot of commitments. If you remember, they committed to not let their daughters marry unbelievers. They had committed to honor the Sabbath. They had committed, again, to give their very best. They had been given God their leftovers. But what he realized in this moment is they've just broken the last vow that they made. And if you remember, they've devoted themselves to not neglect the house of God. And so by them letting Tobiah take up residence, inside the temple of God, inside the house of God, this exemplified the fact that they had indeed neglected the house of God. Now, what you're gonna see in Nehemiah's life today, and I hope you're gonna fall in love even more and more with Nehemiah today, okay? So I want you to pay attention. Listen to how he responds to this discovery. Verse eight, I was greatly displeased and I threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. I ordered that the room be purified and had the articles of the house of God restored there, along with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that because the portion of the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites and the singers performing the services had gone back to their own field. Now what we notice is that Nehemiah he did not ignore sin. He did not ignore what had taken place. And he boldly called it out. And you're gonna see this three more times where Nehemiah boldly calls out sin. And so literally or figuratively speaking, by him going in and removing Tobiah and all of his possessions from the temple of God, this represents that he sees and recognized the sin in the temple and he got it out. He threw the sin that was taking place in the temple. He threw it out. Now, I know you may be judging me a little bit, saying, well, why are you so mean on Tobiah? Maybe he just needed a place to say. You gotta remember who Tobiah was. If you go back to Nehemiah chapter two, Tobiah was one of three men that opposed the work of God. So Tobiah was one of the three men that tried to stop the work of God, that tried to stop the rebuilding of the kingdom. And so immediately, we've taken this man, Tobiah, who wanted to hinder the work of God and gave him a place to stay in the temple of God. And so what we realize is that once sin entered the temple of God, it hindered the work of God. Once the sin entered the temple of God, once Tobiah entered the temple of God, it hindered the work of God. And we know this because of what we just read in verse 10. All the people that had been put in place, all the people that had been given their assignments, their responsibility to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to rebuild God's kingdom, according to the scripture, because of the storeroom being emptied, 
Now all of those very people who were serving God had gone back to their own fields. And the reason is, is because all of their resources were in the storeroom. Everything they ate, everything they got paid from, everything that took care of their families, and now no longer do the place, people have a place to offer God their very best. And so immediately, just to make ends meet, all of God's people have returned back to their old ways just so that they can provide for their family. And so therefore, if they've gone back to their fields, guess what's happened to the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem? It's been hindered. It's been hindered because of Tobiah slash sin had been allowed into the temple of God. Now, what I want you to realize today is the same is true for us. The same is true for us as a child of God. In the book of 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, I'll read it quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and I want you to hear this today. If you are a child of God, if you've been born again by the grace of God, if the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to you, this is for you. Verse 16, don't yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. If you are a child of God today, you are declared the temple of an almighty God because the very presence of God resides in you. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter if you're a Clark and you just got saved a moment ago. He is now a temple of the holy God because the spirit of God lives in him. It doesn't matter how long you've been in relationship with God, but once you are a child of God, you are declared a temple of God. So with that being stated, with that being understood, the question that I wanna ask you is what is your Tobiah? What sin in your life is hindering the work of God in and through you? What sin has the Holy Spirit revealed to you that handcuffs you in being obedient to walking in what he's called you to do? What hurdle is it that constantly calls you to fall? Because as the Spirit of God reveals that to you through the reading of his word and the conviction of his Holy Spirit, my prayer is that you would respond the same way Nehemiah does and get it out. Cut the ties. Remove it. Separate yourself from it. Because at the end of the day, if that sin is still living in your life, if it's still controlling your life, the work of God is hindered in your life. So what is your Tobiah? What is the very thing that constantly hinders your relationship with a holy and a righteous God? Because I don't want you to forget you are the temple of an almighty God and he resides in you. And you know, over the last week, through the reading of the word and through just my time with the Lord and praying, I've realized what one of my Tobias is. What sin in my life hinders me from God accomplishing what he wants to through me. And that's what I've realized is I worry. I worry a lot. When I worry, I lose sleep. 
when I worry, I, I take it out on my kids. When I worry, I take it out on my wife. And so you say, well, Brian, what do I do once God reveals to me what he's revealed to you? Can I tell you, fight. You fight with the word of God. Because what I've discovered is if you'll hide God's word in your heart, and when the enemy causes you to stumble, when he tempts you to fall, if you will fight the enemy with the power of God's word, can I tell you, this is the one thing that has authority over the enemy. The enemy can't conquer anything that this word speaks against. Jesus has all authority. He has all right. But the simple fact is we don't trust him enough with that authority. And so what I've realized is I've hid God's word in my heart for the last three or four days and I remember where Paul says in Philippians 4, now look, I'm gonna give you Brian's version. Y'all gonna realize I dumb everything down. And it simply says, don't worry about it, pray about it. Don't worry about it, pray about it. And so now when I begin to worry Whatever it may be, worry about my kids, worry about my marriage, worry about my finances. When I worry about those things, instead of me worrying, the Spirit of God reminds me of Philippians 4. And he says, hey, don't worry, just pray. Don't worry, just pray. And then what's unbelievable, it works. Because at the end of that, it says you will receive peace that doesn't make sense. But the problem of that is, is in my flesh, for whatever reason, my flesh likes to worry more than it does surrender. And so I wish I could stand before you today and tell you that every time I worry, I pray, because I don't. But what I've got to constantly do in my own life is die to that. And so the question is, is, what is your Tobiah? What needs to be removed? What needs to be cast out? What needs to be fought against with the word of God? But then all of a sudden, Nehemiah goes in and he kicks Tobiah out. He resets the temple. He gets everything back in order. And then he prays. Then he prays. Look at verse 14. Here's his prayer. He says, remember me for this, my God. Don't erase the deeds of faithful love I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Now look, when I read his prayer, when I read that in the beginning, I thought, well, man, that's really the first time I've seen Nehemiah really be selfish. Like he's saying, hey, God, look at me. God, don't forget what I did. But what I love about the Old Testament is that what I wanna encourage you to do today as we read the rest of this, I want you to look for Jesus in the Old Testament because everything in the Old Testament is pointing to him, even through the prayer of Nehemiah. Because when we study this prayer, that's when we look into the depths of what he's literally praying, he's not saying, God, I want you to look at me. I want you to pat me on the back. But what he's wanting God to do is he's saying, God, I want you to look at the work that I've done on behalf of the children of Israel more than you look at their failures. 
God, I want you to look at what I've done for them instead of how they continue to stumble. Who is that the heart of? That is the heart of our Savior, Jesus, that he cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So God, pour your wrath out on me and don't remember what they're not doing. But Father, I want you to remember what I'm doing. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And that is exactly the heart of Nehemiah. He continues to pray, and you'll see it several more times. He's begging God, God, remember what I did. Don't pay attention to what they did. Look at me instead of them. Then he goes on to see in verse 15. Here's strike number two. So we've seen them neglect the house of God. Then in verse 15, at that time, I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. So here they are. They've already dishonored the Sabbath once again, the very thing they committed not to do. And if you look at verse 15 and 16, it'll give you some more of the details of what they were doing. But what I love about Nehemiah is again, sin did not go unnoticed. He calls it out. He warns them the dangers of what they're doing. And then he does what all manly men do. He fixed it. Look at verse 19 through 21. You see the things that he puts in place. He says, when shadow began to fall in the city gates of Jerusalem, just before the Sabbath, I gave orders that the city gates be closed and not opened until after the Sabbath. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could enter during the Sabbath day. Verse 20 and once or twice, the merchants of those who sell all kinds of goods camped outside Jerusalem. Verse 21, but I warned them, why are you camping in front of the wall? If you do it again, <laughs> I love that. If you do it again, I'll use force against you. And after that, they did not come again on the Sabbath. So what we see is that Nehemiah called out the sin but he put a plan of action into play. He closed up shop, he shut the doors, he placed his men at all of the gates on the wall so that they could keep an eye on to make sure that nobody was coming in to sell any merchandise on the day of the Sabbath. But then it says that he also stood guard and he verbally warned those who camped outside. Because you see, the enemy was camping outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Do you know why they were camping outside the city walls of Jerusalem? They were just waiting to find a crack. They were waiting to find an opportunity to get inside the city to disrupt what God was attempting to do. And so as a dad, I can't help but to get a visual image of my home. And what I've gotta make sure that I'm doing as dad, as husband, is number one, I've gotta make sure that the enemy doesn't have any cracks that he can find to come in. I've gotta make sure that the doors are shut. I've gotta make sure that everything's hung. I gotta make sure that there's no cracks for the enemy to come in. But I've also gotta stand guard. I've also gotta stand guard to take notice of what the enemy is trying to do in the life of my family. But oh, when I see him, my responsibility then is to fight him with the authority of God's word. Warn him. Tell him his future. Because it don't end well for him. But moms and dads, 
What you need to understand today is God has entrusted you to stay on the lookout, to stay on guard. And when you recognize what the enemy's doing, you better speak against him with the authority of God's word and the name of Jesus. And so then we keep going. So now they've already dishonored the Sabbath. Then I'm gonna read a very strange verse to you, but then I'll fill in the context to help it make more sense. I want you to look at verse 24 of chapter 13. Half of their children, half of the children of Israel, half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. Now what we know by by the evidence that we read there in verse 24 is that the fact that only half of them had learned to speak another language, the language of Ashdod, and they weren't learning the language of Hebrew, we know that what they've done is they have gone back on another vow that they've made, and they're allowing their children to marry unbelievers. They're allowing their children to be unequally yoked, and we know that, and there was danger in this, and, and Nehemiah knew the danger in this because the reason that it was so dangerous is because the word of God, guess what language it was written in? Hebrew. Okay, back in those days, you couldn't go to, to Lifeway or, or Bible.com and order any translation you wanted. The Torah, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so if they lost their ability to understand Hebrew, they lost their ability to understand what the word of God was about and what the word of God was teaching, what the word of God was speaking. And Nehemiah was so burdened about this because he knew if they could not understand the word of God, there would be no law, there would be no voice, and there would be no hope. So Nehemiah was very concerned by the fact that many of the children were not speaking Hebrew that they had began to speak another language. But oh boy, did he respond to that one. Verse 25, I rebuked them. I cursed them. That don't mean cuss them out, okay? I beat some of their men and I pulled out their hair and I forced them to take an oath before God and say, you must not give your daughters into marriage to the sons or to take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourself. So dad, this ought to be the greatest news to you on planet earth. If you don't like who your daughter's dating, beat the daylights out of him and pull his hair. <laughs> Cuss him out. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That was completely inappropriate, and I am sorry for that. But all joking aside, what I want you to take from that, I would love to really dig into that and see all what all went on and how that was justified just to beat people up because I kind of like it. <laughs> but what we can take from that is how serious Nehemiah took the word of God and how serious Nehemiah took sin. Because he knew that if they continued in the direction that they were going in, they were one generation away from not being able to understand the word of God. Moms and dads, homes, I wanna ask you a question. If your home continues in the trajectory that you are going now, will your children know the word of God when they leave your home? 
Will your children take the word of God serious? Will your children understand the severity of sin if you continue in the direction you're going? Because God's entrusted you to bring a child up in the way they should go. And that is in accordance to the word of God. And so Tobiah or Nehemiah took care of business. He got everything back in order. He called the sin out. He reestablished everything. He warns them. And then again, he closes with a prayer. And this is how chapter 13 closes. The very last sentence of chapter 13, we read part of the prayer and it says, remember me, my God, with favor. He's ultimately praying the same thing. God, pay attention to me. Don't pay attention to them. God, remember what I've done on their behalf. God, I want you to remember what I've done for them. And then soon thereafter, we get 400 years of silence. Because I don't know about you, but that's like a cliffhanger. Like he's reestablished everything. He's beat some people up in the process. He's pushed reset in the temple. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, well, you're in your mind, you're going, there's gotta be a sequel. There's gotta be a sequel. And praise God, there was. Because what we realize is that for the next 400 years, God was silent. And I think we can all rest assured that the children of Israel returned back to their old ways that just for another short season, things were in order, but they quickly returned back to their flesh and went back to their rebellious ways. And we know this because of what we read in Matthew chapter one, verse 18. You don't have to turn there. I'm only gonna read part of the verse, but Matthew chapter one, verse 18, lets us know that the children of Israel returned back to their old ways. And we know that because of this, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. Now you're going, now what in the world? How does that tell us that the children of Israel fell flat on their face again? The reason that we know this is because the birth of Jesus Christ alone proves that Nehemiah's leadership nor Israel's commitment was enough to reconcile them to God. That God's work was not finished that God's work had not yet been accomplished and God had seen man fall flat on their face over and over and over again. And God in his love for you and his pursuit for you said, I'm tired of watching my children struggle and I want them to be one with me. And so I'm gonna take control and I'm gonna do what they can't do. And I'm gonna wrap myself in human flesh by way of my only son. And I'm gonna send him to earth to do for them what they can't do on their own. And so when we see the book of Nehemiah, what we've learned so far is this is part of God's redemptive story. And the takeaway that I want us to learn from Nehemiah that we can apply even today, that it doesn't matter how many rules we follow, it doesn't matter how many commitments we made or how many cards we fill out, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church, it doesn't matter how many leaves you turn over, it doesn't matter who your leader is, nothing in your flesh can keep you from sinning. 
Because in Romans chapter three, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result of that sin, we are separated from God. And nothing we do, no matter how hard we fight, no matter how many New Year's resolutions we make, no matter how many times we try to stop things, I want you to know you're just like the children of Israel. You can't be good enough to earn God's love because we are fleshly fallen people. And because of that sin in our life, we are separated from a holy and a righteous God. But God in his loving mercy for you and for me and for the children of Israel, he said, I'm gonna take care of it for them. I'm gonna send my son to live a holy and a perfect life. And I'm gonna allow him to pay the price for their sin. And then we're gonna let all the world see that just when hell had thought they won and he took his last breath, God the Father breathed life into his son. And can I tell you today that if you don't know God, you are dead in your trespasses and sin, but the Holy Spirit of God wants to breathe life into you by you placing your faith in the finished work of his son. And so today, God wants you to be his child. He wants you to be his child so much that he sent his son to take care and provide a way for you to be made right with him again because you can't do it. You don't have it in you. I don't have it in me. And so I'm gonna close by reading just this last passage of scripture and And what I pray is that maybe as a child of God today, you would be reminded of who you are. Or maybe today, if you're separated from God and you don't have a relationship, I pray that you will know today what's available. What is yours for the taking? But what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes, every head bow and every eye closed. And I just want you to listen to the words of Paul as he talks to the church at Corinth. He says in verse 17, there if anyone, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Whew. Ain't that right, Tim? The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is in Christ. 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we, as a child of God, are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As a child of God, that's the greatest news. That in the moment of your salvation, you were made a new creation. The old was gone, the new has come. But now God has also given you the responsibility to make sure other people know about this reconciliation that has been extended to you. But this morning, if, as I've said before, if, if you're apart from God, if you've never placed your faith in and what God did for you, I prayed today that even right now in this moment that he makes you miserable where you're at. That he's drawing you to himself. And so as we give the response this morning, there's gonna be several layers to this. You can open your eyes and, and look at me. But this layer of response, I believe, is gonna hit home with every single person that's in this room. And as I said just a moment ago, I'm not above pleading and begging you to be reconciled to God. Because if you turn to him, I can promise you how he's gonna respond. He's gonna welcome you with open arms no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing now. But he's gonna welcome you with open arms. And if you've never turned to him, I pray today that that is the day, that this is the day. And as we said just a moment ago, you may not know what to do. The Bible tells us it's as simple as you repent from your sins, which means an about face. God, I'm gonna stop chasing after my desires and God, I'm still gonna struggle with them, but today I'm gonna make an about face and I'm gonna chase after you. I'm gonna chase after you. So I'm gonna turn from my sinful desires today and I'm gonna believe that you sent your son to die for me. You say, well, Brian, it can't be that simple. Oh, but it is. Repent and believe. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible promises you will be saved. And so if you need to be saved today, I beg you, when I was 12 years old, I didn't pray a very theologically deep prayer. As a 12-year-old boy, I just cried out, God, save me. That was it. God saved me. The Holy Spirit did the rest of the work. But now, as, 
as a child of God, as the children of God in the room, the question that I wanna ask you is, what is your Tobiah? What sin do you need to get out? What do you need to confess before the Lord? What do you need to ask him to give you the strength to overcome a temptation? What do you need to kick out of the house of the temple of God that is you? What in your life is hindering you from accomplishing what God has called you to do? You confess before the Lord and you'll be forgiven and the intimacy will be restored. And then lastly, you know, maybe the enemy has, has found a crack. Moms, dads, maybe today's the day you need to reestablish your post. And you need to say today, I'm gonna stand on guard. I'm gonna stand on guard on behalf of my family, on behalf of my children, and I'm gonna speak the name of Jesus over every circumstance, over every situation, over every disease, over every hardship, and I'm gonna battle with everything I have from my knees through the word of God, pleading the blood of Jesus over my home and over my children. But maybe you need to reestablish your post today. And so we're gonna, we're just gonna be obedient. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Maybe you need to bring your situation or your circumstance to the altar. And you need to plead the name of Jesus over it. I promise you there's nothing too big for him. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.